It's time for another episode of the Teacher's Tribe podcast. I am your host, Maxine McFarlane, a Jamaican educator living in the United States of America, and I'm a nurturer of minds and hearts. When this episode is released, the Olympic Games will have officially begun in Tokyo, Japan. And in that spirit, I welcome you from wherever you are in the world. As promised, I will be focusing on beginning teachers and parents and caregivers who are preparing students for school for the first time. In a sense, we could all say that we are pre- we're all preparing for school for the first time because this upcoming school year will be very different, even for students who were in buildings prior to 2020. Both beginning and more experienced teachers can prepare for back to school as new experiences for all of us. The early years of school for children, parents, caregivers, and beginning teachers are definitely periods of adjustment and transition. We can all set ourselves up for success if we take some proactive steps now. Stay tuned for some tips on the other side of this. Passionate teaching is what we do. The joy of learning brings the light too. For parents and teachers everywhere. Let your children how much we care. Rich experience I bring to you. Have you joined to share your passion too? Episode 010 from Season 1, entitled The Joy of Teaching, I reflected on some of my teacher training and beginning teacher experiences. I'm grateful that I had the insight from that time to focus on making learning an enjoyable experience for students and to strive to make a difference. If you are a beginning teacher, listen to that episode and hopefully Something from my experience will help you as you prepare for the new school year. I also think back to the time when I couldn't wrap my mind around how I could possibly send my own child off to school and leave him there for hours away from my supervision. It was hard to imagine leaving him at school in someone else's care, let alone send him on a field trip without me. There was much trepidation and anxiety, but we survived. I must admit that my boys did a lot better than their mother during those early years. Although they didn't start formal school until they were five, it still took a toll on me emotionally. If you're standing on the threshold of your child starting school, or you are a teacher who is new to the profession, I can reassure you, based on my experience, that you can do this. Our firstborn is now a rising senior in college who has gone on many field trips. He lives on campus for several months at a time now and has taken the two-hour trip to and from college by himself. I have moved away from trepidation to a state of acceptance as a parent. 
As a teacher, I have grown from being concerned about how I can be an effective classroom manager of my 40 plus students all by myself, to knowing that I must identify my strengths and employ them in pursuit of achieving the goals that I set for myself. As a parent, as well as a teacher, I am offering encouragement because I know that you can do it too. As we say in Jamaica, if fish their river bottom and tell you say alligator have gum boil, believe him. <laughs> the translation for that, if the fish at the bottom of the river tells you that alligator has a gum boil, believe him. And that simply means you need to listen to the voice of experience. So if I tell you that you can do it, believe me. Allow me to offer three tips each for parents or caregivers and beginning teachers. I will begin with parents and caregivers. Whether your child is preparing to begin preschool or kindergarten for the first time or heading out for the first time since March 2020, these steps will be helpful. Here's tip number one. Help your child to develop independence and teach him or her responsibility. As parents, we sometimes settle into the habit of helping our children with tasks, even when they're old enough to do so themselves. I totally understand that it is often quicker for us to do it than to exercise the patience for the child developing motor skills to complete the task. During these weeks of summer break, provide opportunities for them to get dressed and put on shoes without your help. Although they may appear to be simple tasks, allow your young child to practice tying shoelaces, buttoning clothes and using zippers. I was quite surprised when I discovered that one of my second graders had trouble with putting on a jacket and zipping it up. And that's because his mom always did it for him every morning. Allowing children to serve themselves during mealtimes at home will be a useful skill when it's time for them to go through the serving line in the cafeteria. Encourage them to put items in designated locations instead of you consistently picking up behind them. Doing so at home will help to prepare them for things like hanging coats and book bags in cubbies at school, organizing books and school supplies in their desks, or keeping up with their personal belongings. A sense of responsibility will help children to be contributing members of the classroom community. Engage your children in conversations about the importance of showing responsibility at school and the need to develop independence because the adult to student ratio in the classroom will most likely be significantly different from what they are accustomed to at home. Tip number two, focus on your children's feelings. Nervousness, anxiety, excitement, or even fear are common emotions that they may feel at varying times throughout the weeks leading up to the start of the school year. You know your children best and can determine how to address their emotions and provide the support that they need. For some children, parents and caregivers may need to refrain from talking about school too much 
or just wait until you get closer to the end of the summer break. Other children may need to be consistently engaged in conversations to better prepare them for the transition. It may be helpful to allow your children to talk with other children who have enjoyed positive experiences in school. Do not discount your children's feelings or insist on what their feelings should be. As L.R. Nost said, and I quote here, when little people are overwhelmed by big emotions, it's our job to share our calm, not join their chaos. I'll say that again. When little people are overwhelmed by big emotions, it's our job to share our calm, not join their chaos. As a side note, beginning teachers, I know I'm talking to parents and caregivers right now, but I also want you to take note that you need to be prepared to deal with those emotions starting on the first day of school. Tip number three for parents and caregivers, establish routines for your children. This is especially important in the weeks and days prior to the reopening of school. Formal school requires students to follow a schedule, and you can help to prepare your children for this adjustment if they are not engaged in regular activities at set times each day. It would be beneficial for them to have a set bedtime and time to wake up in the mornings to prepare for the routine. If your child is accustomed to taking a nap during the day and will be going into a full day program, the sleep cycle will need to be adjusted. Gradually help your children to get into the routine of staying awake during the hours that they will be in school and build their stamina. Even if you have older children who are accustomed to following a schedule, they also need to get their bodies prepared, especially if they have become lax over summer break. Their eating habits should also be considered. Some children may be in the habit of snacking throughout the day and eating meals at random times while they're at home. They may be sleeping in later in the mornings and therefore eating breakfast and lunch later than they will have to when school starts. Since classes have scheduled times to eat, it may be challenging for some children and hunger is a huge barrier to learning. Regardless of the age of your child, establishing routines at home and having conversations about them will facilitate a smoother transition. Beginning teachers, please lend me your ears. The three tips that I have to offer are by no means revolutionary. However, they will help to set you up for success. If this is your first year of teaching, they may appear to be challenging for you to implement in your new environment. In my district, teachers maintain beginning teacher status for the first three years in the classroom. If you will be starting your second or third year, I'm also keeping you in mind. By now, you may have recognized these things for yourself and you are now ready to figure out how to fully implement them since you have a year or two under your belt. We know that hindsight is 2020, and 
experience teaches wisdom. So take my recommendations as reminders if this is not your very first year of teaching. Here's tip number one. Accept and ask for help. It is very likely that other teachers and staff in your building will be offering to help once that they recognize that you are a beginning teacher. If they offer, please accept. Make a note of the names and locations of their classrooms if needed so you can follow up later. Do not be afraid of taking the initiative to ask for help too. This made me think of the times when I was pregnant and received so many offers for a variety of things. At the time, I didn't accept many of them, thinking that I didn't want to be a bother or a burden. Looking back, I wish I had saved myself some incidents of overwhelm. Now, when I offer to help a new mother or beginning teacher, I am happy to support and don't feel like it's a bother. My offer is genuine and I am now in a position of knowing what it would feel like to be given that kind of support during my beginning years. As a matter of fact, I was the recipient of support and it made a big difference for me. I think of my beginning teacher years in two phases. The first phase was when I entered the profession after completing teacher's college and the second phase was when I moved to the United States. And although I had already taught for 11 years, it was a different education system and experience for me. This was further compounded by the fact that I was seven months pregnant at the time. I gladly accepted the support that was offered. My coworkers repeatedly used the expressions, let me know if you need anything. Or they would say, let me know how I can help you. I can also relate to the feeling of not even knowing what to ask for because I didn't know what I needed. Although these tips are directed towards beginning teachers, I must pause to encourage more experienced teachers to offer specific help. Based on your experience and knowledge of the system, you know the areas in which these new teachers will need support, and you know the little details within the organization that are sometimes not mentioned but expected. Many times they are simple oversights. For example, a new teacher may not know that he or she is expected to turn off the lights when exiting the classroom for a fire drill. New teachers may not know about unwritten rules or norms within the institution. Many times, new teacher orientation is really an experience of information overload. Hence, they miss some of the little details when they get into full teaching mode of daily classroom operation. Having a neighbor or teammate who provides a quick reminder is always appreciated. Tip number two, be open to learning. If you have been hired to teach, it has been established that you are highly qualified to do the job. You have completed a course of study and acquired the requisite certification to be an educator. All of this, however, does not negate the fact that you do not know everything. I have gleaned so much from fellow educators through the years and continue to do so every year. You will have a better, 
collaborative experience if you are willing to learn from others. In every profession, there are tricks of the trade that you pick up along the way. Gaining some insight prior to having some experiences can prove to be beneficial. I encourage beginning teachers to be learners as you aim to educate other learners. Remember, as Andy Hargreaves said, students become good learners when they are in the classes of teachers who are good learners. Tip number three, establish and maintain boundaries. I must admit that this final tip can be hard to implement, especially during the beginning years. When you feel like there's so much to do, there's so much to learn, I just have to put in the extra time until I get settled in this new profession. Even after all my many years of teaching, I am still working on it in different areas of my work life. I consider myself as a passionate educator and I'm committed to facilitating learning for all of my students. As a parent myself, I encourage my students' parents to advocate for their children and I often go the extra mile to support them. The reality though, is that we can easily end up with a lot on our plates and make so many sacrifices that we shortchange ourselves. It is important to establish boundaries from the starting line instead of trying to make adjustments after students and parents or caregivers have expectations based on what was initially allowed. You can begin by establishing boundaries related to times for communication. Since experiencing the demands of teaching virtually since March of 2020, it became even more critical for me to consistently maintain this boundary. I establish and communicate to families that I will check my email and messages during contract hours when I am not engaged in live teaching. I often schedule messages to go out at 8.30 a.m. or at 4 p.m. Emails and messages that come in after work hours will be addressed the following morning. I strive to get back to parents within 24 hours if it involves a matter that cannot be addressed immediately. Some teachers access their emails and messages on their personal devices and get notifications all the time. In my school district, we use a messaging app that I have downloaded on my phone. However, I turn off notifications for the app. It is convenient for me to send messages via my phone when I want to share a picture or if I'm away from my computer. I maintain the boundary because I choose to access it on my terms and I never get notifications. I only use my district-provided laptop to access emails, so I'm never distracted or interrupted by that when I'm on my personal time or relaxing at home. I must also add that if we choose to establish boundaries around the times we respond to communication, we must ensure that we are not sending out messages during the times when we are unavailable. If parents and caregivers are receiving messages at those times, we may inadvertently be sending them the message that it is okay for that behavior to be reciprocated. Here's another example of a situation where establishing boundaries is necessary. 
and beginning teachers are prone to unsuspectingly fall into. Parents will sometimes engage teachers in conversations about their children in passing. I refer to them as hallway conferences. I strongly advise against this and would encourage beginning teachers to politely offer to set up a time to meet with the parent to discuss any concerns. A simple question like, how is Johnny doing in class? may elicit a response like, Johnny's doing well. Without access to specific data, grades, or notes related to the student, it is risky to offer such a response because a parent may take that to mean that there are no concerns. Your response may be related to his behavior, but he may be having challenges with reading or an area of math. You also do not want to discuss a student's personal data in a public space or provide information off the top of your head. As you go through the days leading up to the reopening of school, think about the things that are important to you and consider what boundaries you need to establish. Whatever role you play in the school community, whether you're a parent, teacher, caregiver, administrator, or even a student. Think about what will make you succeed. We're still in the early years of a different kind of education experience that has been impacted by the pandemic. Last school year gave some of us the opportunity to survive the challenges, and hopefully we will feel more confident to face the upcoming school year. Let's not forget the statement from Dr. James Comer, who said, no significant learning can occur without a significant relationship. Keep that in mind, parents and caregivers, as you get ready to send your children off to school. Beginning teachers, you need to prioritize relationships with your students to facilitate wonderful learning experiences for them. Until next time, walk good and one love. Subscribe to the teacher's strike.